Amen. God loves you. He loves you like crazy. These are the words that I heard a week ago, and for some reason, they just sat with me in a different way. See, I know this idea, this concept cognitively in my mind, but when I heard this from someone last week, it really shifted my perspective. It was really what I needed to hear in the moment. And I tell you, God loves you. He loves you like crazy. But see, we are in the midst of a crisis. Many people are doing what is called deconstructing their faith and denouncing Jesus altogether. The pandemic, along with racial tensions and stuff that has been going on around the world, like the events in Haiti this past week or Afghanistan, have put a lot of pressure and pain on people. And they're questioning, is God loving? And where is his people? I know my own personal struggles, and I've heard some of yours. We're experiencing depression and anxiety, anger, confusion. Marriages have been challenged. Friendships have had their hard times. And we're just questioning, where is God? Does God still love us? We desperately needed him, and not only him, but his people during this time. And if you're like me, you read passages like the one that we're going to be in today, and they leave you feeling a bit uncomfortable. They leave you with that tension. God loves me, but what about X, Y, and Z? At the same time, I'm going to make statements today that very few people are going to disagree with. God loves you, and because he loves you, you should love other people. Right? That's probably the easiest part of our faith for people to accept. God is loving. Nevertheless, I would argue that we often take this truth for granted, even if you don't struggle to believe it. Do we know what it means that God loves us? Why does he love us? How do we know he loves us? And how can he love us if, insert the blank, these are some of the questions that I hope to answer in today's text today. In fact, as we read the passage, I'm hoping that you'll see that God has already demonstrated his love in extreme ways. But not only that, that you get to be part of the solution to those questions. See, if I could summarize what John is saying in this passage to us today, it'd be this. This is the part where you take notes. Since we know the love of God in Jesus, we are called to love others so that his love will be made manifest today. Let's read the passage. Uh, you can open up your Bibles, or you can look at it on the sheet that was handed out in person or online. Um, the text we're in today is 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. And it reads like this. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. 
Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation. Somebody say propitiation. propitiation. For our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Since we know the love of God in Jesus, we are called to love others so that his love will be made manifest today. Pray with me. Father, thank you so much for this text. Thank you for your love. This is love, not that we love you, but that you have loved us. God, help us to walk away today with an overwhelming sense of your love. And God, help us to then extend that love to others that they may see you through us. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. So the apostle opens up the text by saying, beloved, let us love. It's, in the Greek, it's an alliteration, right? Beloved, let us love. What he's saying is, I love you. And then he commands them to love. See, sometimes church, things, some things aren't taught, they're caught. And what the apostle is doing here is he is showing, he's exemplifying the love that we are to have for one another. The very command that he's issuing, he is obeying himself. He has taken the time out to write a letter to a very struggling church, a church that has seen a lot of pain, a lot of pressure. And he takes a moment to affirm them in their faith and let them know you are doing the right thing. But not only that, I love you and God does too. And this brings me to my first point, And it is that we should love because of our relationship with God. Look at verses 7 and 8 again with me. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. We are born of God and know him. That is the first reason why John tells us that we are to love one another. He doesn't root it necessarily in his love or in just the command itself, but he roots it in the fact that we know the loving God. John, uh, uh, he's saying that there, there are certain things that you and I, we inherit from our parents, right? I mean, as much as we like them or as much as we hate them, whatever, like we inherit certain things from our parents. Parents, you know that you start sounding like your parent once you have kids, right? You start, oh my gosh, I see that. And I see my mother and me, my dad and me or whatever, whoever raised you. There are certain things that we inherit. In fact, I know a friend, he wasn't raised by his mother but he has these similarities that are uncanny. And you can look up nature versus nurture and all of that stuff. But what John is saying here is that because we have been born of God, supernaturally born, we resemble his characteristics. We look like him. In John chapter 3, in the gospel of John, right? John is kind of like alluding to this idea of being born of God. In John chapter 3, it tells us, right, that... We must be born again. Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, and Jesus is telling Nicodemus, you must be born again. So he's like, Nicodemus is thinking about physical birth. And he's like, well, I'm going to do I'm going to enter my mom's womb. And like, he's, he's wilding out. But Jesus is like, no, you must be born of the Spirit, born again, right? And then he, that's where we get the famous verse of John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes should not perish, but have eternal life. 
In other words, you're born to eternal life. Ladies and gentlemen, if we believe in God, we are born of God. We are born into eternal life. And we exemplify, we exude his characteristics. We receive his loving nature. It is a sign that we are his. It's like somebody saying, it's that be like me saying I'm Denzel's kid. But I look nothing like Denzel. Right? See, we bear God's image. We show off his love and his very nature because we are born of him. And so we inherit love from God. That means that the love that we're going to see in this text, the love that we have, it, it, it can, maybe you had loving parents and you had a loving home. But the ultimate reason that you are a loving person is not that. The ultimate reason that you love is because of God. So every time somebody says, yo, I see you, you're different. That is an opportunity for you to give glory to God, to honor God, and to show where that love originates from. See, I came from a loving home, but sometimes I can be, I can be really cold, being honest. Um, not, I didn't inherit that from my family. The love that I, have been, that I have been able to show in my life, right, has come from God. It has come from God. Then he says, not only are we born of God, but we know God. And so we're able to love because we know who God is. This past week, somebody sent me a, a text, and um, they, they made a pun. I was very proud of them. I was very proud. They made a pun. And the person they made a pun to is another person who knows me. And they were like, yo, is this Melvin? And, um, and they sent that to me. And, and they were like, I guess it looks like you're rubbing off on me. You know what I'm talking about. So, uh, and the thing about it is when we know people, we tend to pick up their mannerisms, right? We tend to do the things that they do. When you're around somebody long enough, you start to like pick that up. Because we know God... And we don't just know him by like, we know him intimately because of that, because we've experienced his love. We are able to show that love off, is what John says in this passage. He goes on in verse 8 to say that anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. So if a loveless life is a sign that we don't know God, if, if we do not, in fact, what the pastor says that anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love, what, what he's talking about is loving not only just in general, but loving one another. If there isn't that kind of love, then we can't say we know God. It'd be like an Olympic swimmer. They got the cap. They got, you know, everything. They, they, they goggles, all the gear. They know about swimming, but they can't swim. And they say, I'm, and I'm, I'm an Olympic swimmer. You'd be like, uh, I, don't think, I don't think so, right? If you do not know, do not love one another, you do not know God. If you do not know, love his people, you do not know God. And so some people may read this and they think, well, does that mean that the only loving people are Christians? And that's not necessarily the case. There are different kinds of love, right? And you've experienced love from people who aren't Christians. But the love that God is describing in this text, it is unique to Christians because it is a supernatural love. Look at verses 9 and 10. 
In this is love. So God's going to give us a working definition for love here. Here we go. In this is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And so this is what God does. He gives us a picture of his love. What he says is, this is, this is love. This is the picture of love. Love being made manifest is that God sends his only son. Have you ever thought about that concept? Like, that's, just, that's radical. God is rich, right? And he can give anything. This isn't like a millionaire giving somebody a dollar. This isn't... You know, God is sending his only son. This is precious. And so while the love of God is free for us, it costs God his own very son. But this shows us, too, that God is proactive with his love. He doesn't wait for us to get to him because God knows that wouldn't be possible. But what does he do? He sends his son to come after us. Not only is God's love proactive, but it is also sacrificial in that he sends his only son. And so therefore, our love, what the passage is going to tell us, is a byproduct of God's love for us. Right? We don't initiate. We, don't, we aren't the, 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 the person who goes after this per- someone, right? It's like you're in a relationship with somebody, right? Um, and I've heard love stories like this all the time, but where the two people, they don't love each other at first. One person pursues the other, and eventually they start to love each other. God is like that with us. God pursues us, and then our love is a byproduct of that. Why does he do this? The passage says, so that we might live through him. God grants us life in Jesus, right? Spiritual death to spiritual life so that we can live. It's been said that Jesus died so that we can live. And I think it's better said that Jesus died so we can die and he lives so that we can live. In other words, I've been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. This is the truth of the scripture that God didn't just die for us to sit back and just, but that so we might live through him. John 10, 10 says this, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Life is meant to be lived through Jesus. The same way a fish ain't meant to fly. It's not free when it's flying. A fish is meant to live in water. Similarly, we are meant to live our lives through Jesus. And that is, that is life. That is life. So many people believe if I become a Christian, I'm going to lose my life. And to an extent, that is true, right? You lose your life, you'll find it in me. But the reality is the life that we lose is nothing compared, compared to the life that we gain through Jesus. The abundant life that we are meant to live through him. C.S. Lewis said this, God made us. Invented us as a man invents an engine. 
A car is made to run on petrol, and it would not run properly on anything else. Now, God designed the human machine to run on himself. He himself is the fuel our spirits were designed to burn, or the food our spirits were designed to feed on. There is no other. That is why it is just no, it is just no good asking God to make us happy in our own way without bothering about religion. God cannot give us happiness and peace apart from himself because it is not there. There is no such thing. Living my best life, apart from Jesus, there's no such thing. Jesus, God sends Jesus so that we can live through him. And then how does Jesus's, how is the love of God Right? So we see God sending his son. We see why he sends his son. But what does that love accomplish? Right? And we get a, sign, a picture in verse 10. And it says that not that we have loved God, but that God loved us. You know, there's a disproportionate talk in, 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 our, in churches, in our world in general, about how much we love God. Do we understand how much God loves us? In fact, the passage says, this is love. It literally gives us, this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that God has loved us. That's love. What we have is a shadow, a, re a, a replica to reflect his love. And so love is to be understood in this, that this is love, that he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Listen to this. God sending Jesus was both the showing of his love and the very essence of love itself. This is love. It is not our love that is primary, but God's free, undeserved, and sacrificial love. And all of our love is a reflection of his and a response to it. Did you catch that? Free, undeserved, uncaused God was not moved by anything other than himself. He decided to love you, not because he needs you, but because he wanted to. Propitiation. It says that this is love, that he sent his son, right? And then it says that he was the propitiation for our sins. This is love. The word propitiation has been used twice so far in this series, and it actually just comes up in this series. In this book, I mean. But the word means a substitutionary atonement. All right? And so, in other words, Jesus substitutes, right? He exchanges, he trades his perfection, his seat at the right hand of the Father to come down, be with humans, and take on our sin. He don't deserve to be on the cross. You do. I do. But what does he do? He takes on our sin, puts it on himself, takes on the punishment of God, not just the cross, not just the people spitting on him, not just the whips, not just the shame of being naked and hung on a cross. He takes on the very wrath and punishment of God himself on our behalf. That's love. That's love. That, it, it caught, love costs you. It's sacrificial. It's supernatural. It means taking a hit for somebody else. 
And it's best manifested and shown in the very work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Check this out. Romans 5, 7 through 8 says, For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. I, 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 you're good people. I might not die for you if you're righteous, no matter how good you are, right? That's the kind of thing that Romans is saying. Though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. Maybe you'll die for a good person. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for you to clean up your act. He didn't wait for me to clean up my act. He, he, he found us while we were in the dirt, in the mud, helpless. And while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's how he demonstrated his love. And it's because of that that we get to love him. And so God doesn't just love us by doing things. God doesn't just love us. But he loves us by making a way for us to be in a very relationship with himself. Because happiness don't exist outside of that. Love don't exist outside of that. You know, people say, how could God be good and all these, these uh, you know, terrible things happen? And let me tell you something. One, that question, right, it assumes God's righteousness. It assumes Eden because why do we feel like all this evil is, is out of place? We, don't, we think it doesn't belong because it literally doesn't. Right? God didn't create it. God created this world perfect and good. And because of the fall, we experience all this evil. And so at point, we, we have this idea of Eden in our hearts, whether we know it or not. But the other thing is that God shows that he can use the most heinous and terrible things for good. And he does that right here in this passage where he puts Jesus on the cross to exercise his perfect justice and his love. Love isn't just something that God does on occasion, but love is something that God does everything by. In other words, when he practices justice, he's practicing his love. When he practices his holiness, he's practicing his love. He never stops being love. God loves you and he loves you like crazy. And since we know the love of God in Jesus... Here's our calling today. We're called to love others so that his love will be manifest today. This brings me to my last point. We make God's love visible and experience his love more fully when we love others. Look at verses 11 and 12 with me. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So now... John comes back to that command, but he roots it in God loving us, right? Um, no one has ever seen God, verse 12. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. See, God is invisible, okay? That's one of the characteristics in his word. That's, but we make him visible to others when we show love. John 1.18, uh, um, the apostle almost like, if, if I could treat him like a rapper real quick, sometimes what rappers do is in their second works or like their, their third album or whatever, they'll drop a line that refers to something that happened earlier that only real fans know about, right? And so what John is doing is he's dropping a line here from his first album, The Gospel of John. 
And he's saying, he's, he's saying almost something very similar to John 1.18. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. So if people ask you to proof text, where is Jesus God? John 1.18. The only God who is at the Father's side has made him known. So John uses, uses similar language in the beginning of this verse. He says, no one has ever seen God. But instead of going to where he does in John 1.18, he takes it in a different direction. He says, but if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. And so what he's saying is something really is, is big here. He's saying that God's love is manifested in, first in Jesus, right? But it's continually manifested in us through our love for one another. What, what does the Bible say? That they will know you are Christians by your love for one another. There is, that is a, an apologetic in and of itself. That is a defense for the faith. When you love each other, you make God visible to this world and to one another. See, people can see that God abides in us through our love. It's this ripple effect where God's love is shown in Jesus and we see God's love through Jesus and then we show love to others and they see God's love through us. And then we get to point them back to the source. Philippians 2.3, here's a practice, practical uh, way to love people. All right, Philippians 2.3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. That's how you show off the self-sacrificial love of Jesus. Romans 12.10, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. So the only competition here, it ain't who got the best fit. It ain't who, who's the holiest. It ain't none of that. It's who can show more love. You like that? Let's go. Let's, let's get it started. But not only that, God's love is complete in us, the passage says, when we love when we extend his love to others. You know anything like this? It's like saying, spend more money and you'll earn more. <laughs> I wish it was like that with that, right? But it's only like that. The, the economy only makes sense. That economy only makes sense with God's love. You love people, your capacity to love increases. Love is not a limited supply in God's kingdom. It is something that we get to extend freely and generously. Um... There's people here who have more, kid, more than one kid, and I, I, I don't have one. But anytime you hear them talk, and they're like, man, I love this kid. I can't imagine how I'm going to love this other one so much. And yet, then the kid comes around, and they're like, yo, I love them both. And it's just like, oh my gosh, like my heart is so... Like the love just keeps going and expands. And there's not like, a, like I love this kid half as much as because now I have another kid that I need to love. But you love them so much, just equally. And this, this can be true for you, even if you don't have kids, in any relationship, friendship. You're like, I don't know how I can have 18 best friends. If you have that problem, God bless you. <laughs> but love expands. Love is this, in God's kingdom, love is an unlimited supply. And it is shown through Jesus, who gave himself up for us on that cross, died in our place, and then resurrected. 
And so as I close, there's a few things I want to I wanna, uh, leave you with. There's going to be people on the side that are uh, going to pray for you. And if you need prayer, you can talk, uh, drop something online. But when that happens, some of us are feeling compelled in this moment. We're compelled by that love of God. We have not yet known it. But the good news is that you can know it today. You can receive that love that God has where he doesn't wait for you to clean up your act, but he comes to you freely, undeserved, uncaused, and generously providing his love. We should love because of our relationship with God, whose love is demonstrated in Jesus coming to die on the cross on our place. And when we love, God's love is made visible to others. If you have been overwhelmed by God's love for you in Jesus, tell someone. If you're a believer, take a moment to confess some of the ways that you haven't been loving. Maybe go to that person that you didn't love. Maybe it was to them or it was in secret, but I'm telling you, it's going to be powerful when you just confess and open up and choose to walk in your identity because we have been born of God and know him. And then make, make room this week to specifically love someone. Love someone in a way that will show off God's love to you. Plan for it. Write it down. Send a text. Make plans. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your love demonstrated to us in Jesus. Because we have been shown such great love, we can love you. But also help us to love one another. That your love will be made manifest to everyone. That they'll see us and they'll say, man, God is real. Because that person loves in a different way. In Jesus' name, amen.